Alpha Day, it's Manny. Um, we're gonna get into the episode, but really quick business. All right, so um, I wanna thank our uh, newest uh, supporters on Patreon. Uh, a big Sidos uh, Masi to Sia Alvarez, um, the now famous uh, Craig Santos Perez. Uh, who else do we have? Leja Casil, uh, Jesse Tukwalaf, um, who has. Uh, been on the show a couple of times as well he's also a really dear friend of mine um also uh i want to give a really big shout out to uh, the house of chamorros organization they're a san diego based organization um yeah you'll you're you're gonna hear from one of the the uh, founding members here um as well as uh, his daughter janelle um who i am glad to have met and um, yes, to date, they uh, are so far our uh, our biggest supporters. So a huge Cizos Masi to them. Um, and, uh, you know, we hope to continue on this, uh, this uh, trade of ideas um, and the, just uh, the solidarity, the show of support between our two groups. Um, they're doing really important things out there. And uh, if you're in the States, if you're in San Diego especially, uh, check them out. Learn how you can get involved with what they're doing. And um, that's about it. Uh, you can still um, sign up to be a, uh, a supporter of Fanatsu. Um, Does anyone even say www anymore? Um, Patreon.com slash Fanatsu. Um, you can sign up for as little as a dollar uh, an episode, or if you can, if you have that that capability, um, you can even. I would not be opposed to you donating twenty dollars an episode, but um, that might be a reach for for a lot of us. But yeah, um, uh, we're me and Maget are already uh, we're hashing out um, new ideas for exclusive content that you will have exclusive access to as a Patreon. Um, subscriber as a supporter of indigenous media um so yeah there there will be a couple tiers there um you know and not as in you know me bearing my my raw emotions to you guys but i mean different levels of uh, of exclusive content um and we're really really excited to uh, explore the possibility of integrating video into the podcast um i know we've, we've probably talked about it a couple times before but we're serious this time we're golf serious if you if i if i may um but anyway that's enough of that um yeah let, let's get into the episode listen to Fanatsu. Um, yeah. And you know, when we're thinking about decolonization, uh, when we're thinking about independence, um, you know, language and how we conceptualize our world, our reality and our future, um, language plays a huge part in that. And, um, so maybe we can start by, uh, uh introducing yourself cause, uh, you haven't been on the podcast much, I think. And, um, maybe how, how you came to, to become fluent in Chamorro and um you know why it's important to you um as an activist as a citizen as an indigenous person why we we continue to speak our language yeah sure so how for you also can go for you cooper uh don't want to get to mooning law if you may all cut out the home up that you know go figure go men and also do not go figure um yeah, and I hope in the future, if you know tomorrow, set team of fat not good, no part go for then. And I and I must work with the two in 2010 and again, I hope to two and you know, my lag was to move mass, but if you know that, so uh, you know, Pago be pulled if you know English law. Uh, when I was young, I didn't speak tomorrow and uh, I actually had no desire. I used to make a joke that the only tomorrow words that I knew were red rice and chicken kelligan. Uh, that was like my go to joke of uh, self oppression. Uh, and then <laughs> there was like a simultaneous um, 
the, the shift didn't occur until college. I'd say for my sophomore year, going into my junior year, I took three classes in a row, you know, Maget's uh, class included, and it really shattered my mind is into regards to, in regards to really seeing that we've always received a short end of the stick in colonialism, you know, 1521 up until now, you know, first contact with Magellan and then 1668 onwards and just oppression, 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 but yet we've always persevered and I saw that. And when I was looking at sort of the genealogy of perseverance and continuing existence of tomorrow, I saw the language as a huge part of that. Mm. It was sort of, uh, I know, uh, Senora Palomo in her essay in the self de- Tomorrow Self-Determination calls language the umbilical cord to culture. And I really do believe that. I really do believe that. And so I felt disconnected when I was young as a Chamorro. I used to also just say I was German because my father is half German. And, um, you know, hence Cooper. But, um, yeah, I, I felt very disconnected from my Chamorro culture. And so when I was trying to reconnect in college, that's when I discovered the language as a way to do that. And it always felt like there was this interesting experience where when um, I would learn new words, it would be something that my grandmother said growing up. And it just felt like I was missing out on so much, but the language is a way to catch me up quickly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, me learning Chamorro really was, uh, you know, I went to, uh, what's that place called? Sumahi. I went to Sumahis and I saw on the flyer, uh, free Chamorro language lessons featuring uh, Dr. You know, Maget here. And uh, so, yeah, I hit him up. And I was like, hey, I heard you're teaching Chamorro languages classes for free. And so we started meeting once a week. And then eventually the group grew and grew. And we started meeting at Java Junction, where they were located again, a shopping center. And, yeah, I, I just it, it was my mission in life. I started speaking. I cried the first time I could speak to my grandmother fully in Fino Chamorro. Wow. And so when I moved out to Hawaii, I wanted to give the gift that, you know, Miguel really helped give me. And so I started my own similar language pocket in Oahu. And then, yeah, now I have a three-year-old whose first language is Chamorro. She's perfectly bilingual. And so the language is here to stay. It's a, it's a normalized part of my family now. And, um, yeah, I don't think it'll ever stop. You know, my next kids will hopefully be fluent as well. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, I, I took... Uh maybe two years of Chamorro classes with uh, Dr. Um, or Senora Antalan. And um, I didn't quite have the same experience um, that you did. Um, uh, certainly uh, my interest peaked and um, I started using it more around the home, but still um, it, it takes me a really long t- uh, time to conceptualize uh, sentences and frame thoughts and all that. Um, but um, yeah, I it, it's super important to, to myself as well. And um, yeah, I think that until I'm able to speak it fully, then uh, there's still this piece of me that, uh, you know, no matter how, how much, uh, how embedded I am with activism and all these things, like, there's 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 a piece of the puzzle missing there. Um, right. And, um, yeah, we, we're, we are, uh, we have guests here as well from San Diego. And um, if I, uh, if I understood correctly, um, you guys are, are both uh, um, part of, like, language revitalization out there as well, or? <laughs> oh my goodness, half a day, see Janelle? No? Yeah. Jamoro do. That's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm actually sitting here with my dad, John. I'll have him talk in a little bit, but um, this is my first time on the island for ever since, ever since. Um, I grew up listening to my dad and my aunties and uncles uh, tell stories about their time here when they couldn't speak Chamorro and then when, when multicultural. Uh, Lism became really cool in the 60s and then my grandfather and my dad were invited to do a more cultural display back in the 60s and uh, after my grandfather passed away in uh, 93 my dad was contacted again to do a display which then started as a small 10 by 10 and grew over the past 20 years into what we now call the foundation for Chamorro arts crafts artifacts and education which is run by my family um, but in hearing your stories I I, I I definitely can connect in that it's a missing piece I know bad words you know <laughs> I'm not gonna say them but <laughs> I know them um, I know funny things like <laughs> you know I know like uh, just the fun with I know like I know so 
stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's been such a blessing and an incredible experience to visit the island from a tourist point of view, just seeing all the big places and then embracing it from a, a family local kind of view and just hearing what's going on. So I really appreciate what, what's going on here and all the work that you all have been putting into it. So um, Daddy, you want to say hi? Uh, you want to say half a day? Half a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dad, do you want to talk a little bit just about the House of Chamorro in San Diego? Yeah. My name is John Farron. Uh, originally, I was born in Guam. I was raised up in Iran. In Chamorro? Uh, one of the biggest things as um, I was listening is that there was a big void, um, the oppression of growing up, we were forbidden to speak the language of tomorrow. And from there, um, I didn't understand it, but then we had to leave um, Guam and move to the, the U.S. and the mainland in uh, 1965, 66. So all during those years, I felt there was a big void of my Chamorro culture and my language. And growing up to 1993 when my father passed away, I had promised my dad that I would not speak the language until he had passed. So that day he had passed, I started speaking Chamorro. And um, then I, um, it helped me because I had to do some land here in, San, in Guam and I decided to uh, bring the culture, our artifacts, to, to San Diego and help the community over there. Uh, the awareness of who we are, um, a living pre-colonial. That was uh, one of the, the important things is a lot of kids did not understand who we are as Chamorros. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to introduce that who we are and our culture. So for the last 20 years, I've been doing PIFA um, in San Diego, and um, my dream was to open a, uh, start a house of Chamorro. But unfortunately, uh, financial didn't, I didn't have the financial. And, and then I was uh, invited by a Chamorro Optimist Club in San Diego, and it was also, um, Funded with uh, Greg Camacho, Sandy Uslander, um, and uh, a couple of other, uh, Joey Cepeda, and I was invited to be a part of that group. And uh, when I joined it, uh, they started a new um, sub uh, group identity, the House of Chamorro. And it just involved the city of San Diego. So, um, and the uh, Balboa Park, where they will build a house cottage for the Chamorro, um, being approved, we would do that. And we just needed funding. So, um, Gov Guam and CNMI and the community, the different villages of Guam, the different uh, islands of the CNMI group uh, have been participating in donating towards our cause in San Diego. And so now, uh, according to, uh, since I last left, my understanding was that we've been approved to have a cottage in Balboa Park. So we will now have a place that we would call home, the House of Chamorro. And our purpose is to promote on weekly in San Diego, the community of San Diego, the Chamorro community and any community is, is welcome to come on Saturdays and we'll be doing Chamorro culture, the presentations, dancing presentations, language as a matter of fact, um, with Dr. Michael Rivaca, who's uh, really a heads up on this Chamorro language. and. Um, that's one of the things that I would like to see succeed in, in, in San Diego. You know, our culture is, is very important. Mm -hmm. Our language is important. And they're just waking up to see that. So. Yeah. 
So, yeah, um, I, I share a similar experience in diaspora. Uh, so I lived in California, like we mentioned earlier, um, for about five years. But uh, a lot of times it's not until uh, we leave the islands that we, we see that there is this void. Um, and uh, certainly with, with language as well. So have you, have you done much research, uh, Ken, as, as to like uh, the conceptualizations of self, um, you know, and uh, that, how that's tied to languages and indigenous people? Like when, when the indigenous person is, is lacking their, their native tongue, um, you know, what, what happens to the self then? Yeah, I know there are multiple aspects of that question. So every time I teach, uh, you know, anybody that I help out with, you know, tomorrow, we always do this exercise and we talk about epistemology, you know, pretty much how you know what you know. And that how the language that you speak, you know, your language embeds all these different concepts of how you view the world. So language is like a window into a worldview of a people. Um, one of my favorite scholars, Ngugi Watiango, he visited Hawaii. He's a Kenyan scholar who's written this book called Decolonizing the Mind, the Politics of uh, Language in African Literature. And he said that a language is like a marketplace of ideas and that, sorry, the language is the key to the marketplace of, to, of ideas. And But, however, what we see more often and often is that if you don't have the key to your own marketplace, then you're missing out significantly in who you are and how, who are, how you are developing. And so I think, you know, in Google Guatiago has this concept of the cultural bomb in which he says that the process of colonization and colonialism, what it aims to do is to make you see your past as a wasteland of non-achievement. And I think it's very similar to, to language here. To if When we start to reduce language to simply its use as a mode of communication and we leave out the fact that you know, there's a aspect of peoplehood in it. The fact that a lot of times the language you speak can represent not only that worldview, but also be this symbol, you know, have symbolic pride and representation in who you are, that that language is yours. It's one thing that you, your people call your own. When you start to just view that as simply mode of communication, then you demean the language. It simply becomes something that is expendable in favor of a language like English, which is more spoken throughout the world and so i think it was dr underwood who said that there's a language of utility right and tomorrow should learn the languages of utility whether it be english or in the future mandarin however the, the geopolitics of the world progresses but that should not mean that we exclude the language of our people right and in fact it's it's a pretty interesting argument when people say you know we're you know uh, i'm not going to learn tomorrow because i want to learn english and it's like well you know, the exceptionalism, that American exceptionalism that people think of, part of that exceptionalism is monolingualism. Most of the world is bilingualism, multilingual. So monolingualism is actually a rarity in the world compared to, you know, people who grow up naturally speaking four or five languages. Like there is nothing normal about sticking monolingual. That was part of the American nationalist project to sort of establish English as this dominant language that everyone has to sort of assimilate and conform to. So yeah, language has been used, and especially in Guam, as a way of assimilation. And so reviving language is not only reviving a mode of communication, reviving worldviews, but also reviving a sense of self. Yeah. And it's interesting, um, like language, the Chamorro language is, is always tied to like the past and history. But I see it as um, a language of the future, really, especially um, uh, uh, a lot of independence is conceptualizing a new direction for our people, you know. And, uh, man, I could totally see a future where, um, like, uh, tomorrow is ingrained in, in, in work, in school, in, uh, in the home, in, in every home. And not just for indigenous peoples, but uh, for settlers who choose to pl call this place uh, home as well. Right. Um, yeah. No, sorry. Uh, you know, my Tomorrow 101 class here, when I teach it, I always ask, we, we begin the class with, all right, where can you find Fino Tomorrow in Guam? Well, you know, my students will tell me the South. They'll tell me amongst the elders. They'll tell me in churches. I'm like, okay, that's, I guess that's correct. Um, based off your, where do you think you'll find Japanese in Japan? Everywhere. 
Where do you think you'll find like French in France? Everywhere. We know the exception of maybe some autonomous regions who speak a different dialect or whatever. But the point is that that answer everywhere doesn't apply to Guam. And so that should wake people up as to realize that that is something that needs to change. This is, you know, we say, you know, Guahani Tanu Iman Tomoru, if that is true, then it is also Itano Ifino Tomoru. It's also the home of the Chamorro language. And we mustn't get that um, confused in any way. And so, um, yeah, I just think there's, there's, a, there's a thought experiment that we need to do. You know, um, you say that Chamorro language is the language of the future. Another thing that I ask my students is, you know, the reality of language, quote unquote, death. Uh, sometimes I don't like to use death because I, I, f- I view death as so final. We've seen examples of language, complete language revival and language reclamation. But the problem, or not the problem, but maybe the, the issue here is that Chamorro can end up like many languages around the world. There are some languages that only have less than 10 speakers. There are many languages that have fallen asleep or died, depending on which use you want to use. This is not an uncommon phenomenon. And Chamorro is not exempt from that. We don't have this insulation from that phenomenon of language death, you know. Um, and so we have interesting scenarios. Number one, who knows? Chamorro can probably become like Latin. Nobody uses it anymore. We can go to the second floor of the Guam Museum and maybe find it there on the little screen that appears with a grandma talking from 2017. I'm imagining this in like 2070, for example, right? right? If we look into the future, that can be one scenario where you find the Chamorro language in the museum, in that screen of a piece, you know, of a speaker of an ancient dialect, or it can roll off the tongues of our children once again, you know? So my grandchildren can be playing in a playground, speaking Chamorro. Mm-hmm. And those are the two paths that I feel that we right here right now have a role in pushing towards one of those paths the path of inaction will lead to the museum path the path of taking the language seriously and doing something in your daily life to make it a part of you leads to your grandchildren being able to speak it but this is a very very pivotal time period you know with only around 16 percent of the population in Guam speaking the language a majority of them in their 60s or older in the next 10, 15 years, we're going to lose so many speakers, and then we're going to see something struggle. Because right now, the excuse is, oh, I go to King's on Sunday morning, and I always hear tomorrow. Or I go to McDonald's at 6 a.m., I always hear tomorrow. What are you talking about? But yeah, how many speakers of a language is not necessarily the most significant portion of determining a language's vitality? A lot of times is, is are the people who speak the language speaking it to their children Mm. because if the answer is no then the number of speakers doesn't matter if we have a thousand if we have a hundred thousand speakers today in 40 years if none of them teach it to their children the language will be in horrible health so those are all things that we here in guam need to think about um you know i like to say that chamorro is a language that has existed for you know three thousand plus years and we are in this period those of us who are alive today are in this critical 10 to 15 year period where what we do can really determine the fate of the language. So it's almost like if you believe in destiny, right? It almost seems like we were placed here to change that and really determine that. If you don't believe in destiny, then we were just randomly placed here to change that. Yeah. Right, so yeah. Oh man, that's critical. Um, any Anytime you guys wanna jump in, by the way, just <laughs> let me know, just flag me down. But um, did, did any of that resonate with you guys? Or? Absolutely. Um, I feel like in San Diego, one of my favorite experiences uh, was going to a an event. It was a friendship festival, and everybody had to put the word friendship. And uh, ours was Inat Gofli'i. And um, from there, then I learned more about Inat Fat Malik. And Inat Fat Malik, that whole that whole conversation is. I feel it's it's in the practice, but the it's it's interesting because having only a couple of realms of conversational places, you, f- you feel like, well, in San Diego, it's it's not applicable, right? So I do have some, um, you know, Chamorros in San Diego who have challenges speaking because it you 
if you don't use it, you lose it. So um, in just hearing Ken talk about, you know, the conversation of where you find it, when I think of San Diego, I think of at the Sons and Daughters of Guam Club, I think about, you know, all the Monomco, and I think about, um, and then more recently, the this conversation with the House of Chamorro, it's really awesome because there is this strong surge of young Chamorros. In fact, um, my dad and I uh, got invited, and we're so thankful for the Kuturon Chamorro uh, Foundation in Long Beach. They're doing a Chamorro immersion camp. Mm. And uh, what's really interesting about that is they're, I feel, um, providing this this resource for these students to learn like the core values of Inafa Malik and like, respect to and um, I can't list all of them, but I remember after hearing that um, those core value um, core values being shared, it was it was really interesting to just hear the Chumoro words and be like, man, you just you you could um, they really sank in in terms of of not knowing it, how to articulate a feeling, right? So you're like, oh, okay, that's what it is, you know, that um, to give back, to make it good, so. Um, I'm very thankful to to have those entities around, and I'm really excited to help keep building it over in San Diego. And being a part of this conversation means a lot because um, when you're talking about Chamorros speaking Chamorro in Guam, you know, or in the Marianas, like all the Marianas, right? I mean, what is the percentage of Chamorro look like in like Tinian and Saipan? Or is is that where you would find it if it's not Guam? Would it be more? Like, would it look like 90% or not same kind of mentality, like where mm-hmm. it's just the monomical? Well, I think, uh, you know, definitely that was the that was the answer back in the day, that it was a lot stronger in the NMI, the CNMI, but uh, more and more you're seeing the language shift to English happen there too. So mm-hmm. the youth aren't necessarily, like in the 80s, you know, you have stories of people going to Saipan and being amazed that like six-year-olds spoke tomorrow. That story is becoming rarer and rarer as time passes by. And so... Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's like ninety percent at all, but yeah, amongst the elders, like you can almost guarantee. But yeah, the you know the in the intergenerational transmission is also a problem over there too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just wanted to add that uh, there's a lot of work to be done. I, I love the I love the passion that's that I can hear and I can feel um, behind your your experiences and, and what you want to do now it's it, it is very inspiring so um dad did you want to he's like uh my dad would sometimes he'll just start talking to me tomorrow I'm like dad can you but i need you to translate what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm hearing you know speaking to your your children um having that set up and i would love to i would love to continue that practice in San Diego, uh, yeah. because you know that's where a lot of the Chamorros are right now. And uh, actually, <laughs> right. this year, you know, the largest Pacific Islander festival—I want to say it's the largest—is is in San Diego in terms of California. Mm-hmm. And we have a wonderful group called Idencia, run by Antisira's mm-hmm. uh, grandchildren, um, and their big focus is making sure all of the students mm-hmm. learn the Fino Chamorro when they're performing and knowing what they're saying. Um, and that's a start. It's a start, and it's a way in. So um, they closed PIFA. That's the first year uh, that a Chamorro group has closed the festival. And a lot of times dance has been that outlet for culture to be seen. Um, but he's really – that Alyssa and, and um, Richard uh, Duenas are really working on in terms of making sure – the Fino Chamorro is respected and taught. And I think, uh, you know, your point about speaking it to children, you know, like how you want to do that, that's that's really the key. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Miguel and I have countless conversations about how we're just kind of tired of being asked about the Chamorro Rosetta Stone because you don't need that if simply, like, your your grandmother talked to your your child in Chamorro. You know, like, that's, Mm -hmm. like... None of us use the English Rosetta Stone growing up, you know, because we learn English because people spoke to us in English, you know. Um, and so that's those are the sort of sentiments that are, I don't know, ideological, ideological, maybe psychological obstacles to language revitalization is not viewing that natural transmission of language as sufficient, but instead craving something else. 
So when the language becomes so disconnected where you don't view the transmission through the home as the most efficient, I find that very problematic. And so that's the way that we can revitalize the language. Just get people to speak it to their kids, uh, those parents who are dedicated to learn. You know, if, if we got like 100 people today, 100 parents who said we will learn tomorrow for the next two years and then speak it to our children, I mean, we can see a drastic reverse in the trend, but it takes those like those acts of commitment to the language that, you know, I, I'm hoping that we as a group in our collective Guaguateniwo can help foster is how do you do it? You know, um, jump on the second language learner train because that's where it's, a lot of us are going to be. We're going to be second language learners and Miguel and I are second language learners and we understand the struggle, the journey, the frustrations, the moments where you want to quit, the moments where you feel like tomorrow language is the best thing ever in your life. Like we've experienced the range of emotions associated with learning it as a second language. And so I highly recommend for anybody who wants to really take this seriously to hit us up, you know, let's have a conversation. How can you start implementing this in your daily life? Cause that's the thing is, um, you know, Paul Zerzan, for example, had an, um, an editorial op-ed where he said the tomorrow language is dead. Mm-hmm. A lot of tomorrows were pissed off. A lot of tomorrows were pissed off. Um, but the thing is, like, yes, let's be mad because why is he writing stuff like that? That's his positionality. He doesn't know the facts, whatever, whatever, right? But the fact is, like, in many ways, what are you doing to prove him wrong, right? Like, if he said the Chamorro language is dead and you're like, no, like, I speak it alive and well in my family, then I think you do have a very strong case. But if it's like the Chamorro language is dead, no, I'm pissed off about you saying that but yeah, I'm really not going to learn the language or teach it to my children or care to learn. Then in many ways, your your frustration and your anger is a self-defense mechanism for your lack of commitment to actually reversing the situation that allows for an op-ed of that sort to be written. So, yeah. Let me jump into it. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I have to... I have to agree with what Ken was uh, saying there, and it goes back to a previous conversation we were having today uh, earlier, Manny, where on Guam, so many people want to pretend that we live a life that we don't really live. They want to pretend that we are just like Bakersfield, California. They want to pretend that we are just like any other part of the United States. They, they want to pretend like we are just like any other people out there. But that's simply not true politically, and it's definitely not true culturally and linguistically. I mean, the way that people talk about language, it's so disconnected from reality. People say, as, as Ken said, you know, you, you, you know, don't want to learn tomorrow because it doesn't have any value. It's kind of like, when did your parents sit down with somebody when they were six months old and have a conversation about what the language that's important that they're going to learn? These conceptions of language as having a value, no, no one had conversations about what language they were going, that no one had conversations, no one had Rosetta Stones for English. The fact of the matter is though, those conversations can kill languages. So lots of families had conversations and lots of educators had conversations in which they made choices where they could kill a language. But no one even up until this day seems to recognize what makes languages alive. And the, fact, the simple fact of the matter is you use them. It's not actually because they're valuable. The majority of the people in the world learn a language because somebody uses it with them. And they didn't sit there when they were, they didn't sit there as a fetus sitting in the womb like, man, I hope somebody sends me like a, a survey monkey so I can choose what language I want to learn because I want to learn the language that will have the most economic advantage for me. What the hell? No. You, so, and even that idea that you shouldn't learn this language because it's small or no one uses it, there's no money attached, you could say that about every single language in the world. You could say basically that you should only learn two languages. You should either learn Mandarin or you should learn English. And everyone else who speaks Spanish, who speaks French, who speaks Italian, every African dialect, every other dialect in the world, you should throw away your language right now and get on the Mandarin English train. That, that makes just as much sense as somebody saying that you should not speak tomorrow because there's no money behind it. These conversations don't happen. 
they don't really exist. You learn the languages that are around you. You learn the languages that people give you. So why is it that Chamorros, who are so generous when it comes to welcoming Marines into the island, why is it that we are so fucking stingy when it comes to sharing our language with younger people? Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, just use it. Me and Ken always get that experience. You, you're, you're speaking tomorrow to somebody. Like, it always happens to me at Bestseller. There's always old tomorrow people at Bestseller who are really excited that I speak tomorrow to my kids. And then when I say, oh, you know, What the f- Your kids don't want to learn. Like, man, no wonder we're, no wonder we're dying as a people. No wonder, because because all of the elders are under the control of the ADHD kids, because the, the, the grandparents are like, how about we do homework? No, I don't want to do homework. Okay, I got to do whatever you say, because you, I mean, I wanted to teach you tomorrow today. No, I don't want to learn tomorrow. Okay, all right. What, whatever you want. I want ice cream. Okay, I, I am under your command, child. Don't call Child Protective Services on me, put for board, please. Why is it that we live in this distorted, insane world where everyone is blaming DOE or everyone is blaming Chamorro Fairs, everyone is blaming UOG? It's like if just every person who can speak the language now made a pledge. And if, if I had a billion dollars, I would give each of them a million dollars to take this pledge. But that will never happen that they will speak the language to one person who is younger than them and make sure that the gift survives. That's all we need. We don't need anything fancy. The natural way is the best way. It sounds like I'm talking about sex or something like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's so true. And we are so lucky. We are so lucky. Like, how many Native American tribes do you read about where it's like, oh, Old Joe is like the last speaker of the language. And Old Joe, there's all these really depressing National Geographic pictures of Old Joe surrounded by all these kids who want to learn the language from him. Man, that's a lot of pressure on Old Joe. We have like thousands of Old Jose's and Old Maria's. We could totally save the language really easily. Just, and this is, this is what the teach-in tonight is about, if Ken didn't talk about it, is basically traversing that gap where, and it, it's different now, because when I was growing up, and Ken, you grew up a little bit after me, so it may have been slightly different, but at the time, Senor, when you, and I don't know how lucky, when you were growing up, everyone said, pretty much said that the Chamorro language is not important. Everyone said the culture is not important, even those people who were steeped in the culture and loved it. Even people like my, like my grandfather who learned to blacksmith from his father. If you asked him in like 1970, Mr. Luhan, is, is the Chamorro culture important? Oh, hell no. You want to buy a machete? You know, I, I, I make these machetes. They've been made, we've been making my family for 100 years now. No, but the, the culture's not important. Like he would have that disconnect where for, for all of them, the culture, the language wastelands, not important, sort of useless, no capital behind them. But look at how it is now. GVB is leading the charge with their half a day pledges. You know, and everyone talks about how they want tomorrow daycares. They want tomorrow children's books. Everybody wants infrastructure and resources because all surveys show now that the majority of tomorrows feel the language is important. They all say it's beautiful. It's important. It should be preserved. But what is it that makes it so that your you know, your, your Auntie Chai, your Uncle Pepe, that they will tell you, oh, Hongan go precisu esti lenguajita, Hongan esti mesmo finotanai, Hongan debrita gogoteha esti. But then when their grandchild comes into the room, they're like, oh, Hongan Tristan Treverlin, or whatever the hell tomorrow's name their kids nowadays with like 19 names put together. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, hey, watch out there. Don't touch that. Why is it that the language is so important and so special except when it comes to talking to those younger than them? Why is it that, why is it that we have such stories about elders being, having such an immense presence, being able to command respect, and now it seems like we have a generation of, of our elders who are held hostage by their riddle and addicted <laughs> grandchildren? Anyways, I, 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 always, I always complain about that because 
at one event, it was a it was a meeting of older Chamorro activists and one old man who, you know, I really enjoy talking to him, but he was like he was like, you know, hey, problem, problem the kids are not respectful, you know. We need to really discipline the kids. And then his grandson next to him has an iPad. And his grandson next to him is like blaring, I don't know, some Peppa Pig thing or something like that. And then we're all kind of looking like... Gang, you know, and then the old and then the old guy is like, "Boy, boy, can you turn that down, please?" And then the the kid is like, "No, I'm watching." And he's like, "Boy, please, can can you turn it down?" No, I'm watching. Boy, boy, please, can you turn it down? No, no, I'm watching my show. And then we're all sitting there like. And then finally, he, he gets his wife to take the kid into the car so he can watch it in the car. And then he's like, And it's just like, dude, what you're talking about is right in front of you. Your grandchild was manifesting the very thing you were complaining about. And instead of doing anything about it, you just gave in and and basically you didn't discipline your grandchild you didn't speak chamorro to your grandchild you didn't teach your grandchild respect so what is it with that gap how do we overcome that gap because if we can we can save a lot of things we can promote a lot of things we can empower ourselves but overcoming that gap is really where it's at right now and part of it is recognizing that we are not in some privileged situation. Like we are in a situation where we, like most indigenous people, are struggling. And we're resisting a lot of things which are unfortunately in our heads and in our upbringing, that we have to find a way to sort of see around or resist before it basically convinces us that we should kill the language while we're calling it beautiful for the next two generations. So, I know we have the uh, the teaching coming up, but um, it oh, seems like six six or six thirty. Six, right? Yeah. Alasais. Alasais. So, a couple things need to happen here. It seems it's that one. Everyone who's listening needs to to pledge uh, to themselves. Uh, find find a family member. Find a coworker. Um, your children. Uh, your 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 um siblings' children. Um. Find someone to speak the language to as often as you can, um, wherever you can. Uh, that needs to happen. But then also, we need to find uh, different ways to incorporate the language. And one thing I wanted to bring up with you before we, we get out of here is um, you were uh, part of a, a metal band, right, that that used uh, Chamorro only. Yeah, we uh, it was a hardcore band. We had Minatatna, um, Bravery, Fearlessness. You know, we, we're not around anymore but we uh we had a bunch of songs they had like two songs in english but the rest were in tomorrow um you know we have like a few videos online one one in english but the other one was i mean really fully in tomorrow and i also do like this interesting chanty sounding poem in the middle of the song but yeah uh so the whole reason why we did that is there's this idea that tomorrow language has limitations it has boundaries you know I always ask my students, can you talk about Fast and the Furious in tomorrow? And they're like, no. I was like, well, yeah, you can, right? You absolutely can, you know? <laughs> right? And so it's it's just, it's, it's, it's another psychological obstacle in believing that the Chamorro language is stuck, is stuck in the past. And we can't really do anything about it. If we're at the ranch, then we can use Chamorro because that's the proper social domain for Chamorro. But if we're talking about other things, if we're just chilling with our friends, um, playing video games, then no, because the language cannot accommodate the present reality. And that's where people are wrong. You just need to make that effort. You know, Miguel and I are engaged in a lot of nerd projects where we play video, or not video games, mainly board games and trading card games in Chamorro. And we develop a lexicon to show that it's possible. Right, so right now it's really interesting, but it seems like we're at this phase where we just got to show people that it's possible. Just go out there, be nerdy, be yourself in tomorrow. That's most important. Be yourself in tomorrow. Do what you would do in a daily life, whatever your hobbies are, but just try it out. Try incorporating tomorrow into that hobby. 
you know, like, um, I don't know. It also is make it a part of your natural life. I, I tell some of my friends that we should, you, they should start a pact where if they want their partners to have sex with them, it has to be a rule that you can only tomorrow dirty talk, right? So like, no, if you want to get laid, you have to promise me that all the foreplay and all the noises and words you say during while we have sex is only in Fino tomorrow. And while that, while that may seem like, oh, you're just being lewd. No, no, it's about making it natural. I told my students at the beginning of this semester, I hope that tomorrow is the language that you use when your grandmother dies mm -hmm. and when she's and, and when she's dying on her funeral bed, you know, on her in the hospital. I hope that tomorrow is the language that you use when the person you love the most in the world breaks your heart and dumps you. Yeah. Right. I hope that tomorrow is the language that you use when you yell out of frustration and break your wall or punch <laughs> your door. And the, I, I also say I hope that tomorrow is a language that you use when, you know, you propose to somebody. I hope tomorrow is the first language that your child hears out of the womb. I hope tomorrow is the language that you use around family and your grandmother because the point is only when we use you know, tomorrow in the most dark times, the times where you feel like you're going to fall apart and the times when you feel undefeated and invincible, that's when we win. When in those moments of extreme emotion, the Chamorro language feels like the natural choice to speak in, then we have made it a part of us. And I think that's the process that Miguel and I are going for, is naturalizing the language, make, showing it that it has no limitations, it has no boundaries. And if you do feel it has boundaries, then what is a way that you yourself can help break that? Awesome. Right there, I'm gonna play you out with some NPR like spacey um, uh, <laughs> bed tracks, like do 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 do. Like, what man. podcast is this, by the way? Oh, this is um. Well, you're listening to Democracy Now. With, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was gonna say, if this is Fanatsu, this is Fanatsu. Okay, yeah. then then they. I have not been on the podcast, but um, I'm on every podcast. We'll get it. In a way, right? Yeah, he's at the very end. The very end. That's of the right. <laughs> so yes. I have been on every podcast. If you awesome. Yes. Oh, wait, hold on. While while the spacey music is all around me, remember that if you are a supporter of uh, independent media and indigenous Chamorro or indigenous and solidarity sort of conversations and voices, um, you can support this podcast by donating to our Patreon. Now, some of you out there may not know what a Patreon is, and, and some of you may only know how to share sort of Trumpish things on Facebook or something like that. But... <laughs> Um, a Patreon is a very easy to sign up sort of thing where you can choose to support the projects that you like. So in the link somewhere wherever this is being posted, there is a link to our Patreon. You can sign up and you can basically donate a dollar for every episode. So every time we release one of these podcasts, you'll donate a dollar to keep our efforts going, to keep supporting alternative media and keep sort of supporting the, the Chamorro perspective um, in new media. And I said it last time, and I'll say it again. Uh, if I can get five people to each donate $1 per episode, then I will start doing a Chamorro podcast as part of the Fenatsu podcasts. And, you're and I your will... <laughs> no way. <laughs> uh, but um, so, yes. So please, all of you out there that enjoy listening to Manny's sexy voice, enjoy listening to my less sexy voice um support us support us by sharing by liking and also by investigating what the hell half and a hell adds on a patreon yes masi. yes uh for for just one subway cookie oh ouch i'm gonna have to edit that out but uh for just one subway cookie a month or <laughs> one subway cookie per episode you can be contributing directly to indigenous perspectives and uh, alternative media but uh, I want to thank all of you guys here. Um, oh, uh, House of Chamorro. Um, any any plugs? Um, our San Diego uh, Gatsungs. Um, for all of our San Diego Chamorros that are out there, or if you're interested in knowing what San Diego Chamorros are doing, um, there are quite a few. Um, there are quite a few ways you can be involved. In fact, in San Diego, the House of Chamorro, which will be built, I believe, in the next 
uh, couple years is being supported by the Chumur Optimist Club um, and and GVB, CNMI, and Guam. Uh, it's a really exciting project for the communities to come together because there's Chumur Hands in Education Links Unity, there's Sons and Daughters of Guam Club, there's our, our family, which is called uh, the Foundation for Chamorro Arts, Crafts, Artifacts, and Education. Uh, there's Irencia, there's Imahin Tautano, um, and then I might, I'm hoping I'm not missing any. Uh, and then a little higher up, there's a uh, Kuturan Chamorro and um, Kuturan Chamorro performers in Long Beach. Um, so, you know, we're excited to continue teaching and learning about what's going on. And I feel like when you're off island, it, it's hard to actually know what's happening f with our people here on, on the island. So this is a really awesome learning experience that I think everybody should support. And I, I, I look forward to taking that pledge and I'm trying to find ways to actually get in there. Uh, I started this health-focused program because I truly feel that preservation of culture starts with your health. And for me, I have been wanting so much to get back to an ancient diet. <laughs> of just what adzuzu adzuzu fanihi right yeah just getting back to like nizuk based products um become really met good like i was like met good too i always play around because um you know that's i want to see our people thrive and i feel like colonialism has really impacted it via our diet um our families came together and supported each other uh, through providing each other food that we we um got off our own lands and now it's, you know, it's so easy that to just, you know, take what's in front in the stores. Um, so I'm really interested in, in taking my program, Island Fire Fitness, into a, a new direction that's based on my Chamorro ancestry. Because um, I'm mostly known as a fire knife dancer, a Samoan Siva Afi female fire knife dancer. And I always experience a little bit of uh, internal struggle so I'm really excited to come back to San Diego and start another conversation in tomorrow yeah <laughs> but yeah sorry yeah that's a, a little bit about what I'm looking forward to doing um, this year so we'll see how it looks and hopefully you guys can come back out to San Diego and um, we'll have more conversation and set up some time to keep exchanging stories and, and teaching but I'm really excited for your six o'clock thing so let's do that that's Kosiki senior tough and lot la maulik motna. Fanatsu, hita lat mun.